0: Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Mount Air, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com/missio Mount Air. All right, if you've got a Bible, I invite you to open it up or an app, I suppose, if you have an app like Rich. You can eventually find the passage. <laughs> it's, but he needs the font, right? Like when you get to this point that you need the giant font, the app is really nice because you can make it like 34 point font, one letter at a time as you go along. Uh, but we'll get, we'll, we'll be back in, what's that? That's what you need. We're back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for our time in the word this morning. I'm going to read for us. Uh, Rich already read a, a large portion of this scripture, and so really this morning we're going to focus in on verses 14 and 15, and then some of the surrounding passages to support it. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. It says this, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all that those who live Might no longer live for themselves But for him who for their sake died and was raised Grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God stands forever Anything and everything that is going somewhere requires an engine or or motivation of some type. We all, every single one of us, have motivating factors in our life. There's the illustration Jonathan Edwards Edwards used about a horse with no will can be set between a bag of hay and a bag of oats and if it has no desire it will starve to death. (laughs) Because desire, motivation, without desire, without motivation That's what gives us purpose. That's That's what gives us direction. The question for all of us is not, are you driven by anything? But more importantly, what are you driven by? Not what propels you, not what gives you energy, not what sends you out into the world, but what is it that does this for you? What is the driving force? The bigger the purpose of your life, the bigger the driving force needs to be. Walking out to the tractor pull last night, pulling a giant load of weight, I'm sure you guys, some of you can know what the weight is. I don't know a lot. That's my technical term. Pulling a lot of weight that gets heavier as you go requires a giant motor, and in some cases, almost all motor. Some of those lawnmowers are basically nothing but a motor, like with four wheels on it. Is that not the craziest? Anybody else think that was super cool? Like, I just want to cruise around town in one of those lawnmowers with the giant wheels on it. Wouldn't that look great? Deliver mail in it? Yeah, they might, might want to get that license. But, I mean, all if you want to move something, they, they, it takes engine. It takes motivation. It takes purpose. They're trying to accomplish something. And so they need a big enough motor to accomplish what, what it is, what their task is, what is set in front of them. Well, Paul, in our text this morning... He gives us direct information on what it is that drives him. He says in the ESV, which we read out, that it is the love of Christ that controls us. Now, if you have an e- or NIV or a, a New King James or a Holman Christian standard or HCSB or one of those, it might say compels. The love of Christ compels me. And they're really the same idea. It's just what, what gives... Paul's life direction and what moves it forward the love of Christ controls me or compels me it's sending him on this direction there is something so big and so grand so outstanding and so consuming that it has taken entire control of his life he is controlled he is compelled by it and he says it is the love of Christ that controls him so our big idea this morning, trying to give you one phrase that if you walked away, what were we talking about this morning? The big idea is that God is working His purpose. And His love for us compels us to gladly join Him in this work. God is working His purpose. God is God. What He wants to do, He does. God is doing, working His purpose. And His love for us then compels us, controls us, to gladly join Him in His work. God has a purpose. I'd put it on the screen if we had one, but we don't. God is working His purpose. And His love for us compels us to gladly join Him in this work. What is and what has the love of Christ done then that is so controlling and so compelling for Paul. He goes on to explain, right, if you're in there in your text, for the love of Christ controls us or compels us because, so here's the four reason. because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. Paul goes on to explain what it is that is so compelling about the love of Christ. One has died for all. Now, I just want to take a moment. Let's talk about the word all here because it's, it can be a, a passage wrongly used to like affirm some sort of universalism. And I don't think that's what Paul is talking about here. What is this all that he has died for all? There's really a few different ways you can use the word all. And I'll, I'll put three of them before you. Say we've just gotten with ball game season, right? And you go to the concession stand. You're there buying something. Your friend walks up. And they, and they ask, well, what are you doing? Well, I bought, I bought for all. How, or who did you buy for? I bought for all of them. What do you mean by all in that, in that sentence? Do you mean, first and f- maybe, you bought for the whole, like, park. Like, I bought for all. Like, everyone that was here, they got a bag of popcorn. I bought for all. They got a pop. It cost me several hundred dollars at a concession stand. But I bought for all. That is a possible usage of the word all. That is, That would be the universalist idea. The other all might be that I bought for all that were on the team regardless of who they were. The, and the Bible uses the word all in this way many times when it talks about all peoples. It's saying that without discrimination, no matter of ethnicity, no matter what your gender, no matter your age, no matter your socioeconomic status, all, Jesus calls all to himself— And maybe you meant it that way, like, I bought for all the team, but without regard to who they were. Or maybe it just means number. Like, everyone on the team, if they're on the team, if they're this group of people, I bought for them all. And I think that is the way Paul is using the word all here. That's what he is saying when he says all. We can know this because if you go down to verse 17, right, You're still in your Bible here, Chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So it isn't just this all. There is this determining, distinguishing factor. Those who are in Christ, he has died for them all. No one who is in Christ is there that Christ has not died for you. He speaks of this group of people, this all that Christ has died for, as those who are in Christ. And we see then, we go on in in verse 18, we see this stress upon the reconciliation that those who are not in Christ will not be reconciled. It isn't that Christ's death can't be their death. It's that if you're not in Christ, his death is not your death. So while we're here, so Darren, why are we spending much time talking about the word all? It's a good question. The reason why we're spending time talking about the word all at this point is I want to say to all of you, it is never too late to be found in Christ. So long as you have breath in your lungs, the, the call is going out to you to repent, to turn from sin, to trust Christ, and become a part of God's family become one with the body of Christ and to be brought in such that then when we now read Christ died for all, his death would be for you. This call goes out to turn from sin and self, to quit living for self-pleasure, to live for God's pleasure, to trust Christ alone for your reconciliation. This call goes out. And so I wanted to spend time with the word all because the reality is it is open. It is the call is out there for all. And this morning, just as we take time to look at this reality of Christ's death, we talk about in Christianity the reality of the atonement, what Christ did on the cross, Jesus. In perfection, leaves heaven, is sent by the Father. He comes to earth and he lives the righteous life we should have lived. He perfectly fulfills God's law and gets the, the title of righteousness. He earns God's favor. He earns God's blessing. There is nothing more required out of Jesus for, for his reconciliation to God. He has no need for reconciliation. But all of mankind, all of us, we are not so. <laughs> Ever since the fall of man, we have been plunged into sin and we sit under the condemnation of God. You go to Ephesians chapter 2, talks about we all children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so what Christ's death does, Romans 6.23 tells that the wages of sin is death. That what we deserve as a consequence of our rebellion is death. But the good news of the gospel is that one has died in the place of his people such that everyone who turns from their sin and looks to Christ, his death now becomes your death, so that his resurrection also then becomes your life. And that's where Paul goes next. The love of Christ controls us. We've concluded this. One has died for all, therefore all have died, so that that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died. Without exception, if you are in the family of God, if you are in Christ, let me plead with you, repent and trust Christ. But if you are in the family of God, then you are there because Christ's death was your death. You have died with him, not physically, obviously, as we're all here, but the life you used to live, the one in bondage to sin and death, the one that destined you to walk out a life of hatred towards God for all of eternity, that you has died when Christ died. That's why baptism is such a beautiful picture. It's not not the actual salvation of a person, but it is the picture of being buried under the waters and raised to newness of life. But that is not the end of the story. For while Christianity is about a death in Christ, that is not all it is about. It's a call, yes, to put to death what is sin and what is displeasing to God, but that is not all it is about. Christianity is about, yes, Christ died, but Christianity is about truly living. (laughs) We are not a faith that just says put everything to death and just die and live miserable. It is about live, truly live. The life you now live, you live by faith in the Son of God. Christianity is about truly living. It is about joining with God in the purpose, this, this big engine. Where is this all going? It's about joining God in what, the purpose that he is working, that the purpose for which he created the world. It's about living with a greater purpose than you can cook up with your own life. It's about living with a bigger motor and with more horsepower than you can crank out on your own why Paul goes on to say that those who have been joined with Christ in his death now join him in his life. We're not living for something. If you hear this morning, put your faith in Christ, seeking to kill your sin and turn from it, you have something to live for. You see this in a place like we read for our call to worship. Chapter 5 verse 9, whether we are at home or away, no matter where we are, dead or alive, we make it our aim to do what? To please Him. Brings us back to the issue of motivations and desires. What is needed for our joy and our perseverance in this life is a big enough engine to keep us going through all the trials and all the successes, all the letdowns and all the joys that come in this life. In some way, the world, the whole world is on a search to try to discover or create something big enough to keep us all going through the ups and downs of life. Searching what is it all about? What can I make life about? And what what hobby or what family thing or what what task or what occupation can I generate in my life to be big enough to keep me moving when life in its roller coaster of up of ups and downs goes on? What could be grander than having that motor be the purpose of God Himself? Not some purpose we create on our own, but joining God in his very own purpose. This is exactly what happens to the one who trusts in Christ as Savior, Lord, and treasure. God's purposes, God's motivation, God's driver, his engine, becomes their own. His engine becomes their own. So what is this engine? What is this engine of God? Or, to be fancy, Fancy like Applebee's on a date night. To be fancy like that, what is the Latin term, the missio dei, or the missio dei, or like we like to say around here, the missio. What is the mission, Latin for mission? What is the purpose of God? Where is he going? Because if we can discover that, if you can get a hold of that, that is something big enough to give your whole life meaning and purpose and value if you can join up to that motor, if that's the motor that fuels your life and all the ups and downs, all the highs and lows and all the monotonies, to be honest with you, have a motor big enough to sustain you in the joy that comes from Jesus. So what is God's mission? God is on a mission. The missio dei, the mission of God. God is on a mission to redeem a people for himself. And he is doing this like our mission statement says he is doing this for his own glory and for our joy for the people's joy in him god is on a mission to redeem a people for himself and to do it for his own glory that at the end of it all this group will sing in every knee uh in heaven on earth and every tongue on heaven and earth and under the earth will confess jesus christ is lord to the glory of god the father God is on a mission to redeem a people for himself. This is why we say here at Missio, you heard it from Jim, this is why we say we exist to glorify God by equipping all of Christ's people to worship him, to glorify him with all of their lives, and to give every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. We see this in 519 of 2 Corinthians Rich read it for us this morning, but Paul is saying that is in Christ. What's this work God is doing? In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and trusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to god this is the work that god is doing rescuing a people out of their enmity out of their hatred out of their rebellion rescuing them bringing them to himself so that and rescuing really the whole world we will see at the end of the book of revelation we will see a whole restored and reunited world under the glorious reign of our king and savior that is what he is working towards What does this have to do with motivation? What role does this play in the driving desires of your life? What drives you? Is it big enough to sustain you through all of the ups and downs of life? As I said when I started out, right, everyone has motivating desires. The only question is if the motivations that power our lives are actually big enough to carry us through all that life brings our way. The motivations and desires that we cook up for our own little lives will not be enough to carry us through the ups and downs of this life. We need something far bigger, far greater, something outside of ourselves to anchor ourselves to. So that when we can't make sense of life, we are anchored to something outside of ourselves. I was reminded yesterday of an illustration. I forgot this, but I was reminded by Tony uh, in in J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God, he uses this incredible illustration. Imagine you're at a rail yard, you know, and there's just train tracks everywhere. Cars are going this way, cars are going that way, and you're down on the ground in the midst of the railroad tracks. And you're trying to make sense of why is that one going backwards, and then it's like it's going backwards and forwards, and, and then this one's doing the same thing, and then these carts are, what is, what is going on? Why, what is, and you can't, you can't make sense, really, of the rail yard when you're down on the ground, but you look up in the booth, and there is someone that sits in Grand Central Station or wherever you may say. What if you could get up there in there with them and see from their perspective that everything that's moving is going towards their desired end? And you can see that there's a purpose to all that. There's a mission. There is a point. There is a purpose. It is going somewhere. And if you could see that, then when you get back down in the rail yard, even though you, there may be things that happen that you can't make sense of, You know the conductor. You know the one who's driving the train. And you're able to anchor yourself to him such that you're glad to join in this mission in whatever role he has for you to play and whatever your part is. You could go back down onto the rail yard and work. Faithfully seek to equip all of Christ's people to worship him with all of their lives. Faithfully seek to give every man, woman, and child a Heated opportunities to hear the gospel because you know the one who does have a plan and you trust him. Three kind of applications of this reality. What will keep you going in the face of the death of a loved one? Not some simple, small, selfish goal. Those all look silly when the brevity of life confronts you, doesn't it? everything you're doing at some point becomes really pale, becomes very faint in comparison to the gravity of life. What do you do in those moments? What is big enough to keep you going, to keep you worshiping your Savior? What is, what is big enough? What about the simple monotony of life? Take the extreme of, of a death. Just what about the monotony of the day-to-day? Like, nothing's really terrible, Nothing's incredibly exciting either. It's just kind of get up, ride your bike to work, put a bunch of mail. Oh, wait, this never mind. It's getting too personal. It's just, just the routine day to day. What is big enough to even overcompensate for the monotony, the, the, the mundane moments of your life? What about when things are great? What's big enough to give you anchor, to give you purpose and focus when things are going great? And what I mean by that is I think we could probably share stories of going around the room of things that you thought, when I get this or when this happens, it's going to be amazing. It's going to be all, I'm done. When I reach this point, then, and then you get there and you find out, oh, that wasn't it. (laughs) That wasn't enough. I need something more. What is big enough when those... What is big enough in those moments to keep you going? What purpose will be big enough to drive you forward and to drive you forward in joy? It's joining with God and his purpose. Because I want to just take this one step further as we close. The reason why uniting with God and his purposes through faith in Christ, his death being your death, his life now is your life. The reason why this is so advantageous is not just because it anchors you, which it does, which is what we've been stressing. It gives you an anchor. gives you something bigger to live for. It isn't just that it anchors us, compels us, encourages us, but it's because of the why behind all of it. Paul is not simply compelled because of the size of God's purposes. Like, and he gets it way better than all of us. The grand scope of what God is doing He sees, you can go to Ephesians chapter 1, he's got this great uh, eschatology of Jesus wrapping all things up at the end of time. He's got this great organization of how this is all going to play out and all come together for his good. It is not, though, just the organization, the size of God's purpose. He's not compelled even by the security necessarily or singularly of God's purposes. He's compelled, he says, Because of the love of Christ put on display in God's purposes, right? What does he say compels him, controls him? The love of Christ compels me. This is how the giving of ourselves to God and his purposes isn't forced obligation. It's joy. My big idea, right, was God is working his purposes, working his purpose, and his love for us compels us to gladly join him in his work. The motivation for God to engage, for God to engage of this work, for his own glory in this way. I mean, think about it, really. God is the maker of all things. He's going to get his glory. He's going to be glorified. He could be glorified in the destruction of everything after the fall of Adam and Eve. (laughs) He could have been glorified in that. But he doesn't. He doesn't. Instead, he, uh, he, he elects a people. He says, I'm going to redeem a people for myself, for my glory, and for their joy in me. What compels him to do that? No one made God do anything. He chose to do this because of his love. That's why Paul says it is the love of Christ that compels me. Is this the driving force behind our lives? Turning from smaller, selfish, and sinful pursuits, compelled by his love. Compelled by his love. We sang, for God so loved, the John 3, 16 passage, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that is a life. Life of joy in him. Let's turn from our smaller, selfish, and sinful pursuits and compelled by his love for us, let us joyfully join him in his missio, in his purpose to see all of creation redeemed and his people gathered together in the fullness of his joy forever. Let's pray. Father, may this be the heartbeat here. God, I do pray for for everyone here this morning listening. And just as Jim said, coming from all different walks, all different moments in our lives, tired, refreshed, sorrowful, rejoicing, uh, whatever our life status may be, no matter where we are, God, each one of us, God, we have been created with an intention and our hearts yearn for purpose, for meaning, for value. And God, we thank you that we know You did not make this world and just leave it to spin and work out what works out, but you're accomplishing something. So Father, I pray for every soul in this room this morning that God, we would each find ourselves humbled before you, longing for something more, turning from our selfish, sinful pursuits and running to Christ, running to you, running to to the one whose love compelled him to send his son, running to you, the one who sent your son, that we might, through faith in him, be rescued, be saved, and then be given something great to live for. God, work that purpose in every heart. call your people to yourself for your glory and for our joy in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.